to go right, Tom said. They crossed the top of the hill, heads down, hands in their pockets, around the curve, and passed George, past Arroyo. They were in the dark, with nobody around, a quarter to two o'clock in the morning, a sharp eye out for prowling cops. Jimmy had a pistol stuck in his waistband at the small of his back, and he reached back under his coat and touched it from time to time, a talisman of power. He'd never had one of those. Getting close, Becky said. Now she sounded nervous. They passed a streetlight, and in the pool of light, which fell on them like a mist, she said, Stop a minute, Jimmy. She caught his arm and pulled his cigarette hand out to one side, and kissed him, and put her tongue in his mouth, and pressed her pelvis against him. He tasted like nicotine and french fries. Jimmy said, Baby and stepped back, and took a drag and tipped his head into a dark side street, and said, Let's go. They were going over to Lincoln, to a dark wood frame house with a wide front porch and bridal wreath bushes down the sides. Good cover. They'd scouted it earlier in the day, Jimmy and Becky, arm in arm down the sidewalk, Becky spitting, Fucking Hogan's. They think they're so hot shit. Like not. O'Leary's. Jimmy said. O'Leary's now. Marsha Hogan had grown up in Schinder, out on the prairie, her father the town pharmacist. Hogan had sent his virgin daughter up to St. Kate's, the big Catholic girls' college in St. Paul, and hoped for the best. A nice Catholic boy, he hoped, from St. Thomas, who might even be a pharmacist. He succeeded beyond his wildest dreams. Marsha had met John O'Leary, a biochemistry major who had ambitions in medicine. She'd married him a week after their graduation, lived with him in dark apartments as he worked through medical school at the University of Minnesota, and then through an internship in Milwaukee. Back in Bigham, John joined a prosperous practice, and Marcia bore him two daughters, Mary, named after her mother, and Agatha, named after his, and four boys, John Jr., called Jack, and James, Robin, and Franklin. Marcia was 53 years old when she went back to Schinder for her 35th high school reunion. She'd been on the court of the homecoming queen, back when, and had been her homeroom representative to the student council, had organized a school-wide charity to help support the county animal rescue program. She still had friends in Schinder, though they mostly saw her in Bigham, which was only 13 miles away. For the reunion dance, she wore her 25th anniversary necklace, possibly the most expensive array of diamonds ever seen in Schinder. Everybody commented on it, both approvingly to her face and jealously behind her back. The homecoming queen, who rumor said was an alcoholic down in Des Moines, didn't show. So Marcia was the belle of the ball, and had been served a square of chocolate sheet cake by Becky Welsh, the prettiest and hottest girl ever to come from Schinder, a girl who'd never had a diamond, or much of anything else. Becky had seen Marsha O'Leary in a Snyder's drugstore right after they hit town, had recognized her immediately, though Marsha hadn't shown a flicker of interest in Becky. She mentioned the diamonds to Jimmy, but he hadn't been interested until that night, when he showed her a gun and said, Let's go get you them stones. Lincoln Avenue was quiet and dark. Jimmy, Becky, and Tom sauntered along, looking far too casual for people on a midnight stroll. If a cop car had come along, 
they might all have died, for Jimmy said he'd never give himself up to the law, and he meant it, which Becky felt was one of the most exciting things about him. He meant it. No cop car came. They slowed as they came up to the house, taking a last look around. Then Jimmy said in a whisper, Quick now. They crossed the lawn in single file, their feet crunching on the blades of grass that had stiffened in the night chill. They stepped between the bridal wreath bushes, now invisible to the street, took cowboy handkerchiefs from their pockets, and tied them over their faces. Becky and Jimmy pulled on the same type of cheap brown cotton work gloves that Tom already wore. Jimmy took out his pocket knife and unfolded the main blade, and in the dim light from the street, he led the way down the side of the house, checking out the windows. The windows were new, made of wood, some dark color that they couldn't make out, but that still...